Hi, I'm Sarah Todd Hammer, and this is Positively Opposite, the podcast where you'll discover through the experience and knowledge of myself and others that disability is not always a negative thing, but in fact, it can be quite the opposite. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Positively Opposite podcast. Today, I have Anna Kohout with me. Anna has spina bifida and is 22 years old. She is the founder and executive director of A Place for Us, a network for students with disabilities. A Place for Us serves as a great resource for disabled college students. She is a graduate of Beloit College with a double major in education and youth studies, as well as an interdisciplinary major in disability studies. Currently, she is pursuing a master's degree at UW-Madison and plans on becoming an educator. Her life's mission is to make the world a better place for people with disabilities by starting with our future generation and making our school system more inclusive. I absolutely love the work Anna is doing. I know she has a lot of knowledge to share with us, so I'm super excited for our conversation today. Anna, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Like I said, I know you have a lot of knowledge to share with us, and I'm sure my listeners will learn a lot from you, so we can just go right on into the questions. I always love to ask my guests who were born with their disability this question, so I'm curious about when you first realized you were disabled, and when did you first begin identifying as disabled? I mean, I was born with my disability, and I've always had you know, it's been always very obvious. Um, So I can't really pinpoint like an exact time because I think I always knew I was disabled. I always kind of identified as disabled. Um, I didn't really have much of an issue with that. Um, However, I didn't really like identify as being part of like the minority group of like disability until I was like in college and like I learned about like the disability rights movement and like also started to realize that there is like a lot of discrimination against me, especially when I'm trying to live independently, um, which I had not felt as much growing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Like once you were in your community at college and you were trying to navigate a world that is very clearly not built for disabled people, that kind of helped you realize more of how important our rights are and how important it is that we advocate for ourselves and make the world more accessible and inclusive. And I think that makes a lot of sense that you didn't really realize you were disabled right at first because that's all you ever knew. Like you didn't have some life-changing event happen that made you start thinking about it more until you were at college. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So kind of Building off of that, I know that we disabled people all have our unique acceptance journeys regarding our disabilities. And I know that since you were born with yours, yours may look a little different than mine since I wasn't born with mine. But I'm wondering how your journey has been with developing a positive mindset around your own disability. I mean, honestly, like I've been reflecting on this recently, interestingly enough, and I've kind of realized that like my disability, my relationship with my disability kind of changes every year is like I change and meet different people. And so like, I know for sure, I always kind of said like, I didn't really like fully accept my disability until I was like, I don't know, maybe in like middle school, just because, you know, elementary school was a little bit unforgiving with having to, um, I had multiple surgeries throughout elementary school. Kids say whatever they want to say. They un- they exclude you, like, not consciously, but, <laughs> um, you know, unconsciously in a lot of ways. Yeah. I had to, you know, go to physical therapy during lunch. Like, there was just, like, a lot of obvious things that I felt like I missed out on in elementary school. And I really struggled with that at that time. But then, like, as I got older, I started to realize, like, the things that I needed to do that like where in the situations where I felt left out was just like my form of like self-care like I like in high school like I actually enjoyed like 
being able to go to physical therapy (laughs) during lunch like I kind of looked forward to it because like it was like quiet time for myself and then again in college like with learning about the disability rights movement and just like getting more involved in learning about disability studies and stuff I really started to accept it and really started to feel empowered by it and again realize that I was part of a minority group which like made it like even more strong of a feeling and then also just throughout my life like a major thing that helped me like really feel confident with my disability um, was like adaptive sports. Um, I got involved in adaptive sports at like eight or 10 years old and that totally um, changed my self-esteem and how I looked at my at myself for the better. Mm-hmm. I can relate to all of that so much especially when you mentioned feeling a little left out in school just kids maybe not intentionally doing anything wrong because they're young and don't understand, but there can be some instances where they can accidentally be hurtful. And that's really hard when you're only in elementary school and you're so young and that's really difficult. And I had a similar experience in elementary school, feeling left out of things a little bit and not really loving my disability until I got older. And I love how you mentioned that adaptive sports helped you with that, because I think having a community with other disabled people and people who shared a similar passion with you can be so helpful. And I've heard that from so many other disabled people I know and I've talked to, like, they've always said that just having people that can relate to them just really helps. So I love that that was able to happen for you. Yes. Yeah, that's been huge. I definitely feel like my strongest like relationships are definitely with other disabled people. Like those are my, definitely my like strongest friendships for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. Like literally my best friend who, you know, Jen, she and I wouldn't have known each other without our disabilities and our disabilities make our friendship even better because we can talk about so many topics related to disability and we understand like kind of when the other person needs help and we just like really understand each other and it's harder to find that with anyone else yes so this was the perfect segue into my next question which is I know you participate in adaptive sports and I'm curious how you got involved in adaptive sports and what your experience in adaptive sports has been like. Well, I was super fortunate. Um, I moved to Lake Forest, Illinois when I was five and GLASA, the Great Lakes Adapted Sports Association was headquartered in Lake Forest, Illinois at the time. Um, And so I, we were able to find out about it just, you know, from people in the town and I got involved in swimming and then later in sled hockey. And I've tried, honestly, I think I tried like every sport with Glassa, um, but I fell in love with swimming and um, sled hockey. And I, like I've sa- I said previously, like, I'm so thankful for my opportunity to like be involved with Glassa because it, they just changed the way that like I looked at myself and I also gained so many role models like I was able that I was able to talk to about things that I was not able to talk to others about like um like I said my closest friends are people that I met at Glassa and that just has been amazing and also like even helping with going to college like I haven't seen some of them in a while but I do know like they definitely made my transition much easier because like I was able to ask them questions that like I was not able to ask like my mom even like and that was super beneficial. That's so amazing. I love that you have that outlet of so many other people that you can relate to and make friends with. I think that's super important. Yes. So swimming's your favorite adaptive sport that you've tried? Because you mentioned you've tried like nearly all of them, but you really loved swimming the most. Yeah, swimming and sled hockey are Mm -hmm. like my two sports. And swimming has been interesting for me because that one I did more, honestly, like on able-bodied teams. 
but like I did get exposed to like really and into it and learned how to adapt a lot of things with glassa um but then sled hockey was obviously it's fully an adaptive sport like you have to sit in a sled and have specific (laughs) equipment and that's just so much fun and sled hockey has put me in the coolest like disability um environments like by far because like every year we go to nationals which is like you know nationals for sled hockey and it's called like the disabled hockey festival or something like that and it's amazing like it's an entire like long weekend of and you're just surrounded by other people in wheelchairs or various disabilities and it's just amazing like I literally will come back from the from like nationals and be like why is no one in a wheelchair (laughs) like and because I got so used to seeing it (laughs) that is so funny oh my gosh see that it's just so great that you have that outlet where it's so normalized and it's like normalized to the point where it feels odd to see non-disabled people. Like that's amazing to have that community where you can just feel so welcome and so included. Yes, (laughs) it's been awesome. I love that, I'm so happy. So as a disabled athlete yourself, what's one thing you wish more people knew about being a disabled athlete? I wish people knew that I just wanted that I just do it because I want to do it a lot of times that what has happened with me because like I said with with um swimming I've been on a lot of able-bodied teams which means I've been literally I've basically been labeled the swimmer in the wheelchair and you know that has caused a lot of inspiration porn to come out I've had a lot of newspapers approach me and ask me if I wanted to be in the news um, and sometimes like, okay, yeah, like I went to state for the first time, like, that's awesome. Like, yeah, I kind of want to like receive some credibility for that. But like, for example, like when I was, I think a sophomore in college, I had a, another news reporter like want to like talk to me. And I was like, like, why? Like, I didn't do well this year. Like my time sucked this year for me personally. Like why? like, what is there to write about? Like, (laughs) I'm at a D3 school. Like, no one, none of my other teammates are getting written up about. Like, (laughs) so I just, like, wish that people, like, knew that, like, I just want to swim. Like, Mm -hmm. if I wanted to, Mm -hmm. like, actually, like, be out there and be, like, acknowledged for, like, how good I am. Like, I'm very, I'm gonna be honest, I'm a mediocre swimmer. I'm not gonna make it to the Paralympics. But, like, people think that I will I'm like no like I know I don't have the work work ethic for that and I'm fine with it like (laughs) right so I don't know it's just been interesting to deal with that yeah I'm sure I I think it's very common to see disabled athletes get turned into inspiration porn that's probably like the most common example I've seen of inspiration porn like where you have a Paralympian and they're like running their race and it'll be like on a poster in a classroom or something and it'll say like the only disability in life is a bad attitude or something like that and I feel like it's so often disabled athletes that are used as inspiration porn and like you said all you want to do is just be a swimmer like enjoy your hobby like you're not doing it to like inspire people or to prove that disabled people can do something like you're just there because it's something you want to do (laughs) right and it really has affected me like all this inspiration form because like like you just said like you need like you don't want to have to prove yourself but like for the longest time I would like try my best not to miss like a single practice because I wanted to prove to everyone that I could do it Mm -hmm. and now I'm like why did I do that? Like, there were so many times where I'm like, I should have not gone to practice because mm-hmm. like I put myself in a not the best situation because, but I didn't want to not go to practice because I didn't want people to think that I couldn't do it. Right. Then that's super harmful because I'm sure the non-disabled swimmers weren't necessarily thinking about that. Like if they didn't show up to a practice one day because they weren't able to, I'm sure they weren't thinking, oh, people are going to think that I can't swim or I'm not good enough or I can't do this. 
but when you're disabled, it's right. so difficult to not think those things because we're constantly being underestimated. And then when we can do something or we do something great, that really isn't anything exceptional. It's just us enjoying a hobby or living our lives. We're made out to be this inspirational figure. Right. And so you mentioned that you would accept some of the newspaper offers, but did you ever like deny any that were asking to feature you because you could tell that they just wanted to like use you for inspiration porn or like, how did you respond to that? But that's the other shitty part about it is like when I was approached with these articles, I was like 13, 16, like I was not old enough to know how to respond to that. And I mean, I'm, I'm just like a shy person overall. Like I finally have the confidence that I wish I had like my entire life, (laughs) but, (laughs) and when people would approach me, like, I just would be like, okay, yeah. Like I was just like very like agreeable, but then every time the articles would come out, there'd always be something where I was like, oof, why did they have to put it that way? Or like, that's not even my disability. Like, like, (laughs) like there would just be so many moments where I would just be like, after it came out, I don't know, everyone around me was really excited and I was like somewhat excited, but there would be those feelings of like, but why, like, why, what is this even like saying? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what was the purpose of even writing this? (laughs) So I don't know, but this most recent time when I'm talking about like when I was in college, um, was when I finally realized like all this was happening like before I didn't really realize like I I was not like I kind of said like I wasn't really I didn't know about the disability rights movement much to be honest so like I wasn't informed about like inspiration porn and like this like I, I didn't have that like language um, to describe like how I was feeling about all of it and so but when I when it happened in college my coach luckily like totally understood where I was coming from like he even told me about like as soon as he told me that like someone wanted to talk to me he's like I don't I know you're probably not gonna like this (laughs) like he like knew exactly what I was talking about and I remember I sat in his office for like hours and we would talk about like how proud like how problematic like this felt for me and like how I wanted to approach it like he helped me deal with how I like because I'm like okay I'm I'm not gonna say no but I also don't want something to be written that makes me feel like I'm just being used Mm -hmm. um and so he really helped me kind of like talk through it I don't remember even what ended up like being written to be honest, um, it was definitely not as bad, I think, as some previous ones I had had written because, like I said, I kind of went into it with more of a game plan of like, this is how I'm going to talk about it um, type of thing. So that's a struggle that I feel like so many of us disabled people have. Like, if we ever happen to have something about us featured in an article or magazine or whatever it might be, they can never get anything perfectly correct. And that might be true for non-disabled people who have an article written about them for whatever reason so that's probably just a problem all around but I feel like it's even worse when it's something to do with disability because it's just already something that's not understood very well in the first place so it's more likely that there's going to be confusion and things are going to get messed up and I've had that happen with articles about me before tons of times too they'll get little things wrong and it's infuriating when it happens because it's like you want to be represented accurately and so it really stinks when you have this great opportunity like you did to be featured but then they just choose to go about it the wrong way and I can also really relate to what you were saying about not even really having the right words to describe how it made you feel initially like when you were younger and they would use you as inspiration porn because for a long time I considered being called inspirational a compliment because I was told that so often that I just took it as a compliment but it wasn't until I remember my mom showed me an article that was talking about why it's not a compliment and we started talking about that and I really started thinking about it and I was like wow like it really isn't a compliment so I think it's hard when it's something that we don't even understand ourselves we just know we feel wrong about it 
you know, because then we can't really fix how they're portraying us if we don't get it ourselves at first. And it's, it's a complicated thing for us to understand. Like it's a really complicated subject, but yeah, I could just really relate to what you were saying there. Yeah. It's, it's so complicated because like, because part of me like still wants to be an inspiration yet I don't want to be inspiration porn. So it's like so hard for me to like figure out and like, and I, now I am able to define that, but because like, I've, I've realized, you know, like I'm fine being called inspirational if it's in terms of like what I actually like achieve, like, and what, you know, not because of, not despite my disability, but just like, you know, what I actually do. And mm-hmm. I want to be an inspiration to like other disabled people, but not for able-bodied people. <laughs> like, I don't want to be used in, in that sense. Right. Like you maybe want to inspire other disabled people who want to swim or participate in adaptive sports and let them know that they're capable of doing it because society often says that we're not capable of doing these things. And that's why they use us as inspiration porn because they're like, oh, a disabled person's doing this and we didn't think they could do it. So that makes perfect sense that you would want to be an inspiration to disabled people or just be an inspiration to anyone for actually doing something that's like a big accomplishment and like not because they thought that you couldn't swim or participate in adaptive sports. Right. So steering into a different direction, I really want to know what your experience in higher education has been like since you have completed your bachelor's degree and now you're pursuing your master's degree and you're so involved with disability advocacy as it pertains to college and education in general. So I'm really curious about your experience. I mean, I don't know. I feel like my experience has been like a roller coaster, going to be honest. Um, (laughs) It's just, it's been all over the place. I remember I was really nervous for college not academically, but like socially. And some of that came true and some of it didn't. Um, Like my nerves were valid in some ways and not in others. But I mean, overall, I think I had a really good experience. Again, definitely academically, like I felt really well supported and whatnot. I I feel like this is such a broad, there's so many routes I can go down with (laughs) talking about um, higher education. Well, I got to swim in college, so that was important to me, um, and that was an amazing outlet. As it did in, in high school, it made me feel like I was, like, you know, part of something, and I automatically had had friends, um, but also, in the end, it did kind of shine through that, you know, I was one of the few disabled people on the team, so that was always something that was happening kind of in the background. Um, Mm -hmm. throughout my time here the other thing is you know my college was not as accessible it's really old so there's only like two dorms on our campus that are accessible and so that made socializing kind of difficult Mm -hmm. Um, I also ostracized myself even more in some ways because I chose not to drink Um, it's Mm -hmm. just something that I'm not necessarily comfortable doing at parties Um, So that was like another aspect socially. Mm -hmm. Um, And also just like, I am very disciplined. And so I always prioritize academics first and my health first. So (laughs) that was also another thing that like, I feel like not able-bodied people don't always do. I mean, even disabled people as well, but I think I had already learned how important that is for me to do and that it is even more important for me to do than for everyone else to do to like, instead of hanging out with people to go to sleep earlier and stuff like that. Sorry, I don't know. I was all over the place with that. No, no, that was a really good answer. You brought up a lot of good points. I think you're so right that a lot of us disabled people already do kind of have more structure in terms of like taking care of ourselves and prioritizing what is important to us because we're so used to having to advocate for ourselves all the time and we're used to caring more about our health and being more conscious of our health so I think that you're totally right that your disability played a role there and that can be a positive thing but it also does make it more difficult when you're surrounded by younger people like 
you know, college kids were kids and they might not necessarily get that yet because we are, we are still kids. And I definitely relate to that as well. But I also really do enjoy socializing because I'm very extroverted and I honestly don't ever need alone time. Like I would be perfectly fine without alone time, but I have realized how it is so much more difficult to socialize as a disabled person. And not only just in college, but I've just realized that starting in elementary school when I first became disabled, because I just feel like there might be extra barriers. Like if I wanted to go to a party, I might have to worry about how crowded it's going to be because I can fall really easily. And if I fall, I can't catch my fall and I could like break my arms. So I feel like I have those extra worries that non-disabled people might not be thinking about when they're going to a party or a social gathering. So yeah, I definitely think we have extra worries and we can still have great experiences at college overall, like you have and I have, but we do have those extra worries tacked on and those things that we think about that other kids might not be. Yeah, for sure. I know in college you pursued a degree in disability studies and I'm actually pursuing a degree in disability studies as well. So I'm really curious what the most interesting thing you learned while pursuing your degree in disability studies was. I mean, it was so eye-opening. Like, I think for the first time I realized that I could be a disability advocate through like my writing or through being a teacher, like I can incorporate it into all the work that I do. Like it doesn't need to be, I don't know. I I think I had thought disability advocacy had to be, you know, like political, I guess. And I was never into politics. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to get into that. But then I realized, you know, it can be more on the academic side of it. And that's just more how like my brain like works and what I'm interested in. And so I think that was probably the most interesting thing I learned. Yeah, I think disability advocacy, as you said, can often be political. And it's important we talk about those things too. But there's also so much that we can talk about that's not political. And it's just about things that affect us in our everyday life. And school is a huge part of that. And I think it's so cool and so amazing that you're so involved with that because our education system does need a lot of work in terms of helping disabled students and disabled educators as well. And I think it's really cool that you're going to be so involved with that because you will have both perspectives to offer because you've been a disabled student and then you'll also be a disabled educator. So I think that's, that's really cool that you're doing that. Yeah. And also I've realized too, like, I'm not only like disabled, but I'm also like, I am, I do consider myself a disabled advocate, which means for me, at least means I'm constantly trying to learn about other disabilities from those people that are actually disabled. And I do that all the time, like throughout my life, like I, that those are the people I follow on social media and those are the books I read, those are the podcasts I listen to. And I've just started to realize, especially with my master's in special education, that not everyone does that (laughs) and they don't understand these different like personalized perspectives that are so important in Mm -hmm. education. Yeah, it's super important to have like a well-rounded view of the disability experience. And there are so many disabilities, so it would be impossible to understand all of them. But the more of them that you might know about, the better. So I think it's super, super important that you're doing what you're doing and just really trying to learn as much as you can. So to tie into college and education and how disability intertwines with those things, as I mentioned in the intro, you're the founder and executive director of A Place for Us. So how did this come about and what gave you the idea to start this organization and what has it been like being in charge of the organization? Ooh, okay. So A Place for Us started two years ago now, two summers ago. I worked for a disability advocacy group in DC. Um, I was an intern there and I met like a bunch of other 
students with disabilities that were in college um, and that were super, or some of them didn't even have disabilities, but they were just super supportive and un totally understood disability advocacy and wanted to fight for it. And so we kind of all got to talking and we were talking about how at our colleges, like, yes, there are like disability related clubs, but none of, but we also felt like we were the one, it, ironically enough, some of us were in charge of those clubs and we're like, how, like no one comes to our meetings. Like it's so annoying. Like it's so hard to get people to listen and to like, just care about mm -hmm. disability like in general at all. And so we wanted to keep going with how like this summer made us feel and we wanted a way to stay connected. So we started a place for us. So it originally started as just kind of like a network for like college students with disabilities. But then I had the opportunity later that year to work on it um, as a, like a, a special project um, for my disability studies major. And I had the entire semester to work on it. And so I got to researching and I realized that DREAM already exists, which is basically a network for college students with disabilities. And, but I did realize that there's no mentorship program that exists. Like there's programs that exist to help college students find jobs. And that's great. Or anyone, I guess, anyone with a disability find jobs, not necessarily college students. Um, but there's no one to help with the transition from high school to college. And with, you know, employment being, starting to be more needing a degree, mm -hmm. it's important that students with disabilities stay in college and can succeed in college. And numbers do not show that that happens. <laughs> Only like 11% of people with disabilities attend college and that's pretty damn low. So I help students with disabilities be able to succeed. And I knew that I only had one kind of disability. So I thought that the best way for me to kind of help as many people as I wanted to was to create a mentorship program that had people with various different disabilities from various different schools so that they can share their experiences and hopefully someone can find themselves in one of those people mm -hmm. as as their mentor I think your whole organization is so amazing and I love how it started I never actually knew that that's how it began like when you were in DC and met these other college students that is so cool I think that's a great story and you are going to help so many people because your organization really made me realize even more how many college students were not aware of the resources that are available and how many disabled students don't even have the opportunity to go to college because of how inaccessible and not inclusive it might be. And honestly, your organization came at a really cool time for me too, because I started college last year and I tried to find resources for disabled students, like, is it okay to talk about your disability on your application or should you not talk about it and things like that. And I couldn't really find any advice on that. And I did end up talking about my disability on my application and it worked out fine for me, but I was really worried about that for a long time, like worried that I wouldn't get accepted to college because they could look at me and a student who was just as good as me who wasn't disabled and choose to take them instead of me. So I think it's so important for other disabled students who are trying to go to college that they have this resource that you're providing. And I'm really happy to hopefully start mentoring really soon and have a mentee of my own. I think that'll be so fun. Yes. Yes. You know, I think it's so important because I also experienced the same thing. Like I did not like I remember like my sophomore year because I worked in disability services at Floyd College. Um, I learned that there's a difference between like what law you're covered under in college versus in high school. And I'm like, how did I not know this? Like, that seems like something I should know. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's right. what my, right. like, I technically didn't have my rights going into college. 
like that like really struck me as like this is a problem like people need to know that like these things change and what they're protected under and also just like the support of it too as I talked about earlier you know with um adapted sports I did have role models like I said I was able to talk to people that were five ten years older than me and had been through college and they were able to tell me what it's like to be a disabled person in college and tell me things and ease my nerves that I had that were specific to my disability but after coming to college, I realized that I met people that they barely even knew people that were disabled um, mm-hmm. before college. And they didn't have, so they didn't have that at all. Yeah. Um, and that just made me really sad. I was like, you need to have someone to answer these mm-hmm. questions. Yeah, honestly, I didn't even know that my rights were covered by something different in college than they were in high school. I had no idea. Like I basically was just like, okay, I know I need to submit paperwork for academic and housing accommodations. And I did a really thorough job on it with my occupational therapist. I always just kind of was like, well, we're doing a really good job on this. And I guess I was like, if they do give me a hard time, then I'm going to fight them on it. But it's like, why should that even be something that we have to worry about? Like there's just so much like a red tape in these processes that doesn't need to be there right and also like you know when you are going to college like you're the one that's becoming the advocate and that's scary that's hard Mm -hmm. like and no one really prepares you for it I mean my high school certainly didn't prepare me for it my mom did but again I know I'm lucky that my mom was like (laughs) Like she was, you know, she fought for me and I know she did. And so she taught me how to advocate for myself. And she was there, like, I still call her and tell her, mom, I have this issue. How do I deal with it? Like, but I also know that a lot of people don't have parents that are like that, that are disabled. And so someone needs to tell them like, yeah, no, like you have the right to that. You should fight for that. And this is how you can do that. Mm hmm. Yeah, I have been fortunate to have a mom like yours who has taught me how to advocate for myself. And I'm also fortunate that I seem to be a pretty assertive person when I need to be. Like, I'm not afraid to tell people when they're doing something wrong and that they need to fix it. Like an example of that being at college last year, I went into the dining hall and they always would have a worker help me. They would just carry my food for me and help me get situated at my table. And sometimes they even carried my food all the way back to my dorm room for me. Like they were always very helpful. But I walked in one day and they told me that they weren't going to have people help me anymore. And they blamed it on COVID and said it was a COVID issue, but it hadn't been an issue for the past few months. So it was really odd. And I thankfully had a friend with me who did help me that day. But I sent an email right when I got back to my room and I, so I sent the email to the disability office right when I got back to my room and I said, like, this is what happened and this has never been a problem before and I can't always have a friend with me. I want to be able to go alone to the dining hall too. And they handled it right away and apologized and then I always had someone helping me. But I was thinking that there could have been a kid like me who just maybe didn't know how to handle that situation because they'd never been taught or they also could have just maybe been afraid to handle that situation like afraid of what the response would have been or afraid of being seen as like too needy or something and I think that's totally understandable so yeah freshman me would not have wanted to say anything Mm -hmm. like my mom would have had to convince me to write an email (laughs) or she would have been like or I'm calling And like, I know I don't want my mom to call. So like, (laughs) like, yeah, I definitely would have been scared as a freshman to, to write that email for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. It's not easy to do. And for me, I wasn't scared. I knew that they were in the wrong and I needed to say something. And I've also just been really lucky to have a school that is so accommodating. I got so fortunate in that respect So I know that my experience has been a lot easier than others in terms of 
getting what I need and having people who work at my school who are very nice and respectful about it. Yeah. And also I think like schools need to be educated more on how to handle these situations and like how to make sure students know about their disability office. And like my disability club at school, we're trying to work with them to make those things more known, like having brochures in the library with resources and things like that. But it's really, really surprising to me when I post like on Instagram about the disability office, like I did that the other day. And people told me that when they were in college, they had no idea it existed. Or if it did exist, they weren't very helpful. And I'm always so surprised because I'm like, gosh, like that's awful. Like, why is this such a common thing? Yeah, I know. I, I, I get confused by that too, because I work, because as I said, I work in my disability office Mm -hmm. and I love our disability director. Like she's amazing. And so it confuses me when people like, and she, and so, and working there, I also have gotten kind of a little bit of inside scoop of like, she's like, yeah, there's so many people on the, on, on our campus that they like, won't even say hi to me. Like if I'm just walking around campus because they don't want to be identified with our office. And so I think that's really where the problem lies is she's like, because like I've had conversations with her I'm like I think we need to like you know advertise this more and she's like yeah I want to but I don't know what it's going to do because it seems as though the people that need it that aren't you know like there's just so many people that feel the stigma around disability still that have invisible disabilities more more likely than not and they don't want to like I don't know they don't want to like be associated with the office and so yeah I don't know it's hard I hadn't even thought about that like where kids don't even want to talk to the disability office representative because they are embarrassed that they might be associated with them and that probably just comes from the stigma around disability that our whole society just feeds into like it's embarrassing to be disabled or it's an awful fate to be disabled and those stigmas just impact like every aspect of our life like we're seeing that come into play in college and in the workplace and just in everyday life and it's awful that they have that big of an impact (laughs) I know you're a future primary school educator and have experience as a student teacher and I'm wondering what it was like being a disabled educator And what's something you wish all teachers would implement in the classroom to create an environment better suited for disabled students? Well, I feel like uh, being, having a physical disability, it's kind of hard for me to really say what it was like because my student teaching was completely virtual, um, which is odd. And so a lot of my fears that I had did not really come to fruition with virtual teaching. Um, I actually kind of liked it because I didn't have to be like, figure out how to like write on the whiteboard or, you know, what do I do if I need to go to the bathroom? Like, I can't just leave kids. Like I wasn't like, you know, leaving kids like <laughs> unattended if I went to the bathroom vir- when we were virtual. Like, <laughs> So a lot of my fears didn't really, um, I didn't get to like, kind of, I guess, work them through. Um, so I'm excited to be student teaching again this fall so that I, I hopefully will have the opportunity to do that. Um, but I also did, even though we were virtual, I made sure the kids knew that I had a disability um, and that I was a wheelchair user because I just thought that was really important um, for them to know that. And it is such a big part of my identity. Like sometimes it just comes out like, you know, just in what I'm talking about. And so that was really important for me to know for, and it was also important because I had um, the entire, like all of my students were, were the cohort of students with disabilities. So we had all the students with disabilities in our classes. Um, And it was, but it was a general ed class. Um, 
so I think what's was really important to me was using universal design throughout my lessons um and and I realized too it, like I thought it would be kind of hard and in some ways it was like I I definitely didn't fully implement it but at the same time it's really not that hard at, like also like there were so many simple things that I did like I just and that are just like good teaching like mm -hmm. I would integrate um, videos and closed captioning throughout my lessons and for assignments um, I would have students like I wanted them to give me like I taught math and science so I wanted them to give me an explanation for something but I said you can either write it down or you can record it like record a video of yourself, like giving that explanation. And honestly, like the kids that did made the videos, I felt like I understood what they knew way more than I did the kids that wrote things, whether they had a disability or not, because they were just able to explain it so much better with their words. And I'm, a, I was like, I'm teaching math. They don't need to like write right now. Like that's not like a standard for math <laughs> so like there's just I feel like there's just so many simple things that I wish educators would integrate and they would not only understand their disabled students better and be able to help them but they would also understand where like all of their students are coming from mm -hmm. like better yeah universal design is so important I think it's a really fascinating topic too, because it's something a lot of people aren't even aware of. Like they've never thought about it. Like they see it as, oh, if you have a disabled student, just provide them with accommodations and do that instead, which is honestly way more difficult because as you said, it helps everyone to just have universal design. And I think that's really cool that you thought of those creative ways to do that, like implementing the universal design in your class and also letting your students know that you are disabled because as you said, it is a big part of your identity. And that can be a good learning moment for the students to see you as a disabled person being a teacher and in a place of authority and like doing a real job. And that could provide your students with disabilities hope for their own futures, like thinking, wow, like my own teacher has a disability. I could be a teacher if I wanted to also. So I love that even though you were virtual, you made that a point like to tell them about your disability. Yeah, and I also tried to like facilitate conversations about disability. I mean, of course, like not, not always, cause again, I, I taught math and science, but like, for example, like on International Day of Disability, I was teaching them and I, I, I knew I had a lot of students with disabilities. And so I started off the class by just telling them about my disability, telling them what day it was, why this day was significant. And then I asked if any of them wanted to talk about their disabilities. And I actually, there was a lot of kids that wanted to and, or talk about someone that they knew that had a disability. And it was, and it was just, it was amazing. To, I mean, I taught fifth grade and not, you know, they come at it with not the preconceived like notions that adults have about disability. And so all of them just sit, stood there and, and listened. Like they didn't make any comments about, oh, I'm sorry, or, you know, anything like they didn't say anything problematic about it. Like they just all just like listened to each other and wanted to like have input about it. And like, they were so excited to be able to share their own disability experiences or just people that they knew that had disabilities. And it was really cool. I love that. That's so sweet. And I love that they're doing that from such a young age. And also that you mentioned they didn't make any comments like I'm sorry or, you know, just any ableist comments in general. And they were just very accepting because even though we mentioned earlier that in elementary school, it could be difficult because of how kids behaved around us. I feel like that more comes from them just not understanding and just not having ever been taught about disability or exposed to disability. And it's not coming from a hateful place. Like it's for young kids, it's them truly not understanding. But for the older people, like adults, a lot of it does come from a hateful place. And 
also misconceptions and just preconceived notions about disabled people, like calling us inspirational, stuff like that. Whereas with younger kids, like they just don't understand. And so when they're given an opportunity to understand, they're just immediately accepting. And I think that's really, really cool. Exactly. They just don't know. Mm -hmm. And so like, and so that's why I think it's so important to have these conversations in the right way when kids are young, because then hopefully they won't grow up and be the adults that turn into, you know, like the ones that we're talking about, (laughs) the say ableist things. Because you're right, like when I was saying, you know, in elementary school that the kids, you know, were clumsy or with their words or whatever, it wasn't necessarily even that. It was just like, they just, you know, were like very blunt about things sometimes. Like I remember I had a a kid tell me, like I wanted to play tag and the kid was like, well, you can't run, so you can't play. And I'm, and like, they weren't wrong. Like I can't, I couldn't run. Like, (laughs) so like, it wasn't like out of, like yeah meanness necessarily (laughs) they were just confused about how you could play probably (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yeah I think those conversations really are super important and it's so great that they have you as an educator who's helping them have those conversations and I think it will have a really positive impact on everyone but especially the disabled students to have you as a really positive figure, like to look up to. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Also regarding universal design, do you have any advice for teachers on how to implement universal design or just how to go about that? Well, I mean, I'm not an expert, like I kind of said, and I know like there are times where it is easier to not do it, but I would say, honestly, like, I mean, for teachers specifically, like, just think about, like, what's good teaching? Like, you want students to be able to comprehend, you know, or to be able to understand what you're teaching in multiple ways. So use multiple ways to teach. Um, And you also, and if you use multiple ways to teach, then you should give your students the same grace and allow them to show you what they learned in multiple different ways. And it doesn't, like, we need to get away from this, like, you know, everyone needs to be able to express themselves in one certain way. Like, that's just not realistic. Like, we should be promoting the fact that everyone thinks a little bit differently. Um, and therefore, they come up with new ways, like, just be open I think is the biggest advice I can give for universal design because yeah don't don't think that it needs to be super structured like it just yeah allow your students to do what they need to do (laughs) yeah I think that's super important and really good advice so hopefully that will help any educators or future educators that might be listening (laughs) so Steering into a little bit of a different direction, this is one of my favorite questions to ask people because I know that I have so many things I personally could say for this one. So I'm curious for you, what's one thing you know because you're disabled that you wouldn't know if you weren't disabled? Yeah, there are so many ways to go about answering this. And it's, and it's hard to answer because, you know, I was, I was, um, you know, born with my disability. Right. Um, so it is kind of hard for me to imagine not having it at all. I mean, I feel like I do have like a different, like I, I could have like more empathy than others in the sense of just like understanding what it's like to not always be accepted um, in society. And I'm sure any minority group would agree with me on that statement. And I, I mean, the obvious one is like, I just know about the, the, the difficulties that people with disabilities do face. Um, but I also feel like I've seen it too with my friendships of like, I think I'm able to kind of weed out who are the good people and who aren't with my disability in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> just because like, it, it can be, it can be so obvious to me, like, my true friends are the ones that, you know, take the elevator with, to go around the stairs and take the elevator with me. Um, 
like it can be that simple um and maybe it's bad that I put people in that box and like define a friendship by that but I also don't think it is I think it's a pretty like maybe a daily thing but it matters a lot to me (laughs) type of thing yeah I don't think that's bad at all because if you have people who are claiming to be your friends but they're not supporting you as a disabled person then I really wouldn't consider them true friends at all and as you said it's as simple as just taking the elevator with you so you're not alone and feeling isolated and left out going by yourself and I feel similarly about this because I have friends who totally go out of their way to help accommodate me and just be helpful in general And I know a lot of my other disabled friends have felt the same. And one good example of this is um, one of my friends when she was getting her apartment and they were looking at buildings. She said that one of her roommates checked to make sure there was an elevator for her and like really went out of their way to do that. And like, that's like so sweet. And like, it shouldn't be praiseworthy because like, that's just being a good friend, but it's just not everyone does that. And so it just feels so good when people really take the extra time to think about what you might need as their disabled friend. Yeah. What's one thing you wish more people knew about being disabled? There's also a lot of ways I can answer this one. (laughs) I think I think a big one is like, just because I complain about my disability um, does not mean that I don't love it. Mm Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I, oh my gosh, I don't know if I've ever resonated with something so well like that because I definitely have my complaints about my disability, but they mostly come from like society not being accommodating and people not being inclusive and understanding and not my disability itself. So a lot of people might not understand, like, I love my disability and I like I don't love society's inaccessibility and people's ableism so it's hard for people to understand that you can love your disability and also really be angry about those other things yep (laughs) or like even like not like parts of it like I don't like parts of my disability like some of it kind of sucks some days Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that you know it's not a huge part of who I am and it hasn't been you know it's not still something that I enjoy having I mean yeah enjoy having yeah like when my neck hurts because of my disability I get pretty annoyed by that but that doesn't mean I don't love my disability overall and I think this is just a really difficult thing for non-disabled people to grasp because they can't imagine what it's like to be disabled and like For you, you were born with your disability, so you don't know any different. For me, I know what it's like to be disabled and to not be disabled. So we just have like that better understanding that they don't have. So for them, they just cannot comprehend how we could love our disabilities. Yeah. So I always like to end the podcast on a positive note, and I love asking this question. So I'm curious for you, what has been the most positive aspect of your own disability experience? I mean, I think the most positive aspect has been just like the people I've met um, and the opportunities I've been able to have because of it. Yeah. (laughs) We wouldn't be talking today if it weren't for our disabilities. So yeah, no, we wouldn't. And like, and I feel like I've met so many people on the internet. Like, I feel like this year could have been so isolating, especially with COVID. Like, I, I also like a lot of my friendships went a little bit all over the place this year at college. And, but what really kept me going was a place for us and finding all of these friends virtually, all these disabled friends virtually on the internet and being able to connect with them on a much deeper level than I have with anyone else. And I literally like met them this year. So that's been really cool. That is so (laughs) cool. I love that. I've done the same thing. I meet so many people on social media, like on Instagram, just other disabled people I follow. And 
I learned so much from them and I have FaceTime calls with friends that I've met on social media and it's so, so cool how our disabilities can help us connect with so many people. And I would never trade that for anything. Like Jen is literally my best friend. We've known each other for nine years now and I can't imagine not knowing her. And it's so weird that I wouldn't know her without my disability. So yeah, I, I agree. I'm definitely thankful for the people I've met and the friends I've made because of my disability as well. So thank you so much for being on my podcast, Anna. This was so fun and I learned a lot from you and I'm sure my listeners will learn a lot from you too. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. <laughs> I'm so glad that you enjoyed it and I'm sure that all of my listeners did too. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Positively Opposite. If you'd like to connect with me, visit my website, saratodhammer.com. Transcripts of each episode will be available there. Also, be sure to follow the Positively Opposite Instagram for all the latest updates and special content regarding the podcast. I hope you'll join me and another amazing guest at the next episode.